they would say that the beginning of it was the beginning of the day of Brahma. So we're talking many, many millions of years, uh, perhaps billions of years before now. But in, within that time, this cycle has just kept running. to welcome back to the show returning champion joseph selby how you doing joseph doing great thanks thank you for coming back on the show when we had our our last conversation i had such a good time talking to you that i also knew that you wrote another book called the yugas and this goes into a lot of a lot of teachings that i've read over the years from uh, yukteswa and from paramahansa yogananda and in all of that. So I really wanted to bring you back on the show to talk about your book and about what the yugas are and so on. So before we get into it, I think people really need to understand who uh, Yukteswa, and if I'm, I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing it properly, Yukteswa and Paramahansa Yogananda are, who are these, uh, these sages of the past? Well, they're not too far in the distant past. Paramahansa Yogananda was uh, the first Indian teacher to come and, and live in the West. Uh, Vivekananda came before him, uh, did a tour, uh, I don't know how long, but uh, maybe a year or two, and then returned to India uh, and left uh, you know, a very significant work behind him. But Yogananda actually lived in America from approximately 1920 to his death in 1952 uh, with the absence of you know, like one year or so traveling. So he, in many ways, Yogananda was the, the father of yoga and meditation in the West mm -hmm. because his whole approach to uh, his purpose of, of being here was not, as he put it, to Indianize Americans, but to spiritualize them. And so he used a lot of uh, Western terminology to describe the teachings, and he used a lot of science, which is one of the things that I find um, really useful and something that people really are drawn to, is a, uh, a description of spiritual truth using science as a, as a foundation, as a, as a means of explanation. So his teacher was Sri Yukteswar, which um, it, it, he lived in India, did, never did come. I uh, never left his, his native India, but uh, he was a very, very strong influence on Yogananda's approach in America. And it was he who wrote the book called The Holy Science, mm -hmm. um, right which me. is a extremely, extremely deep uh, discourse on the nature of man and the nature of God and how we find God uh, very, very condensed. But at the very beginning of that book, just a, a handful of pages, really, he talks about the yugas. And it's so it's from that sort of seminal bit of information that he imparted that the book I wrote with my co-author, David Steinmetz, really was, was born. Now, what are the yugas? Well, the yugas are a um, system of understanding the, the past and the present that is cyclical. So the history that is most accepted today is, uh, is Darwinian. Uh, basically, 
that mankind existed in, um, you know, progressively worse circumstances. If you if you look back into the past, you know, from like troglodytes to barely <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, upright uh, hominids, etc., and finally arrived at the uh, the state we know today where the yugas say that in the past there were actually higher ages. Uh, There were times when mankind was more developed both mentally and um, uh, in in terms of the civilization that that he built. So this is very different than the the, uh, linear uh, approach to history that is common today. And Stuart Teshwar talked about it being a 24,000 year cycle. So a period of time that, uh, during which, excuse me, mankind devolved from a high state of consciousness in stages known as yugas or ages, and then reached a low point and then began to come back up in the cycle to where we are now and eventually will once again reach a very high stage. So the uh, last high point was 11,500 BC. And the last low point was 500 AD, not that too far in our past. And the next high point will be 12,500 AD. Uh, And so that's the cycle, 24,000 years, waxes and wanes, and has done so many times, not just once, that each cycle is um, preceded by another, preceded by another uh, in these 24,000 year cycles. And then each cycle is broken into four ages. So I'll, I'll explain them very briefly, but each so, age is considered um, a, a specific type of consciousness that existed on earth. So the highest age is Satya Yuga, then a descending age after that, which is still very high, uh, in which mankind as a whole have mental telepathy and the ability to use their minds to create things directly. And then the Dwapara Yuga, which is um, descending from that and into Kali Yuga, the lowest age, which is a very material age. And then uh, we, we turn and go up again from that bottom at 500 AD through a uh, the continuance of Kali Yuga, very low age, and then into Dwapara Yuga, which is where we are now. So let me ask you then, these 24,000 year cycles, so if 11,000 years ago, 11,500 11, years ago, we were at a higher state than we are now, what was it before that? Like, did we, so, 15,000 years ago, were we at a low stage or was it just another, we were finishing off another cycle and finishing off another cycle and finishing. So was there ever a beginning point is what I'm saying. Um, uh, the bit In terms of the, the sort of great body of teachings that are Vedic um, and, the, and the sort of priceless, timeless contribution to man's knowledge that is known as, as, as uh, the Vedic teachings, they would say that the beginning of it was the beginning of the day of Brahma. So we're talking many, many millions of years uh, 
uh, perhaps billions of years before now. But in, within that time, this cycle has just kept running. Now, it's uh, in that context, it's important to say that the 24,000 year cycle is unique to the Earth, that it is not necessarily a cycle that governs all aspects of the universe, that in different places in the universe, they could be having different cycles themselves that may be in harmonic with ours, but they may be completely opposite. Um, thus also suggesting that there are uh, civilizations, there are people, there are advanced species all over the universe who might be experiencing a similar kind of thing. So what is, what is the spiritual context of these cycles for humanity in general? Why start at a higher place and then devolve just to go back to that same higher place? What is the purpose of, of it, spiritual, spiritually speaking? Well, I think it, it's helpful to understand the whole cycle to just come right out and say that um, reincarnation is considered to be a, a concomitant theory with this larger cycle. So it's not so much that mankind itself evolves, it's that souls come in at different times uh, needing different lessons and themselves at varying levels of development. So some souls need a place to come, if you will, when um, there's a very high level of consciousness on earth. So they would be attracted and born into Satya Yuga. Uh, you would think everyone would be attracted <laughs> and born in the highest age, but our uh, varying levels of development draw us to different uh, ages in that cycle in which we can grow. So you and I and billions of other people have incarnated in a ascending Dwapara Yuga, which is relatively low in the arc of development that eventually leads to the highest expression of man in, in Satya Yuga. But for us, it's still very important. It's not that we, you know, we've been sent to a, a, a prison island <laughs> to, to serve our sentence. Uh, Dvapara Yuga, any of the Yugas, can be a time in which anyone for whom that is the right place can grow enormously. So one of the hallmarks of Dvapara Yuga is that it's what's called the, the energy age. So the energy age, as Sri Yukteswar described it, was that mankind as a whole would understand that energy underlies matter, that it's a more subtle reality, and that in fact, uh, mankind as a whole would have, you know, he was writing this from the, in the 1890s, early right. 1890s, and he said that mankind as a whole would realize not only that energy underlies matter, but that matter is itself energy. And this indeed happened in 1905 with Einstein's paper, the, um, the Special Theory of Relativity, from which we get the, the famous equation E equals MC squared, which is essentially a, a very elegantly brief mathematic way of saying the same thing, that matter is energy. So this awareness 
is just uh, coming on. We're in the very beginning of this um, ascending Dwapara Yuga. It began in the 1700 AD, um, really be began in earnest, if you will. Yogananda used, or Sri Keshwar used the term that uh, Dwapara proper began in 1900 AD and will last for another uh, 2000 or more years while we continue to grow in this knowledge of energy. Now, as a civilization right now, we're exploiting that knowledge of energy, right? We have uh, nuclear energy, we have solar energy. Uh, the world is run on electricity, something that has happened in the last 150 years. It's right. been a, a, a phenomenal transformation. Um, if you're anything like I am, when the electricity goes out, I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I, have to, I have to go outside and garden, right? I can't do any of the, the work that I do to you know, earn a living and, and to write my books. And that's true, I think, of nearly everybody in the world today. So uh, our civilization has, has exploited energy, but it's not done exploiting energy. I think there will be uh, more and more subtle sources of energy discovered to be exploited. And hopefully the ones in the future won't be so uh, damaging to the environment as the ones that are in use today with the burning of fossil fuels primarily. So, so these ages are essentially a, um, a rotating classroom for souls. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just constantly like, okay, this semester, these classes are open. If you guys want to take, you want to sign up, they're here. If yeah. not, they're going to take, a, it's going to be a little while before we get back to these classes. So if you want to sign up for these time, yeah. and they're now. open for a while. Get they're them now while they're available. Yeah. Yeah. And before the seats are filled. And, but they, I mean, we're talking about thousands of years, these classes are open. But these yeah. are the moments that are are open for certain kind of growth levels, and I, and, and in, in a soul's um, progression, I completely understand that because if you were born in seventeen hundred, very different than being born in 22, uh, yeah. 20, 2022. Uh, it's a completely different experience, and also depending on where you are born in the world, and if you're male or female, and what color is your skin, and there's so many other different variables about that. Um, so then, okay. So these are the so the, these are the four ages. Um, souls are coming in and out. Can a soul? Well, I guess I, I guess that's. I'm going to answer my own question. If a soul is born in an unenlightened age like we are right now, we're in a low, for, not the lowest, but the, a low place in this cycle. Can it transcend and become an enlightened being? Uh, and the answer is yes, because Yogananda did it, Jesus Christ did it, Buddha did it, and so many other spiritual masters. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah. And I think the the opportunity that the current age we're in, ascending Dwapara, the energy age, for us is that the energy that people are beginning to understand and appreciate is not just uh, outward physical energy, but inner energy. So I, my, my theory about, uh, you know, underlying theory about uh, our various incarnations in the, in the classrooms is that not only are the classrooms 
available to us, but the bodies we take on are a little bit more refined. So the bodies that we could have taken on in the lowest age, Kali Yuga, uh, would have allowed only a very basic sensory awareness. But the bodies we're taking on in Dwapara Yuga allow us to uh, directly perceive subtle energy. And it's very interesting to look back in time to the previous descending uh, Dwapara Yuga and see what the spiritual practices were of those times. And what were those times again, years-wise? Uh, years-wise, that would have been uh, prior to 700 BC, going back as early as 3100 BC. So during the Egyptian times and the Roman, well, the Roman Empire a little later on in time, but yeah. Roman Empire later, so and the Greeks hadn't really gotten going yet. So it's the Egyptians, but it's also Vedic India. It's right. also um, the China from which we get uh, what is sort of oddly referred to as traditional Chinese medicine. If we look at those times, what we see is that they had a very advanced knowledge of subtle energy. They didn't have such an advanced knowledge of uh, outward energy, uh, like nuclear energy and electricity, although there are hints that they knew about those things in their writings. But mainly what they used were uh, various techniques for exploiting subtle energy, such as healing, meditation, um, even accomplishing the, the tasks of their lives. If you look at the um, Egyptian teachings for, as one example, you'll find that they're, they're often considered to be just magic and therefore they don't work. Therefore, they're just ignorant people in the past who thought magic existed, where in fact, what magic is, is the ability to uh, affect things at a distance in a subtle way that is, will transform them. And that the heart of that is, is life force. The heart of that is knowing that life force uh, can be, um, can transform matter, can, can mutate matter. There's a uh, hieroglyphic, sort of like a story almost in one of the uh, Egyptian temples showing a boat with a boatman and an oar and a, uh, a noble sitting in the center of the boat and then standing behind them <clears throat> is a uh, magician and the magician is casting spells on the, well, oh, missed a point, that, that they're following a herd of cattle that are swimming. And the magician is casting spells on the crocodiles so that they will stay at the bottom of the river and not come up and eat the cattle. So this was like a, a value add <laughs> from the from oh, the boat owner to the owner of keeping his cattle safe while they went across the Nile. So these kind of abilities, these kind of powers were commonplace, not only in ancient 
Egypt, but also in India and, and ancient China. So, and, and also the Americas too, with the Mayans and the uh, the Aztecs and the Incas. I mean, we're talking; they were around how many years ago as well? Well, the, the Olmecs in yeah, the South Ol America may have been in the descending Dwapara Yuga, but what we think of the magical age of uh, the Incas and the Mayans, they were really in Kali Yuga. They were the <clears throat> they were the people who sacrificed people by cutting their hearts out and offering them to the gods. So they, they weren't as <laughs> they weren't so as advanced, let's say. But they weren't as but, advanced. But their technology, their math, the Mayan calendar, the science, the the building of the of Jujunitsa and uh, you know all of those different um, you know amazing pyramids. It was so fascinating. I always found that fascinating that how Chichenitsa could be built and the Great Pyramids could be built, and those two cultures never met. Right. Quote, unquote, quote unquote, never met. How is it that the technology is similar? The concepts, the ideas, all of that stuff was so similar in so many ways. Yeah, different flavors, obviously, culturally, but the concepts were there. I mean, the math that they were able to, the, the Mayan calendar was so accurate. Mm -hmm. How did they figure out the math back, back then with twigs and stones? Like, it makes no logical sense. Let, let, let not even get, we'll get into the pyramid in a minute, the Great Pyramids in a minute. But how is that even possible? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I think that the principles of mathematics actually um, <clears throat> survived well in the process of the ages sliding into the lowest age of Kali Yuga. And, and many mathematical principles um, made it all the way into the Roman times. Mm -hmm. So math may be one of those practical tools that you know, were, were useful and therefore they kept being in a sense reinvented in, in every new civilization on earth because they saw it, but the subtlety of the mathematics was not as high. Uh, you know, they're not talking about calculus in, in, that we are enjoying now in our uh, higher ascending Dwapara Yuga. How the pyramids are actually happening in two different civilizations, 2000 years apart, I don't have a ready answer for other than that, and I'll admit this is a bit of a bit of a duck <laughs> to your question, uh, but forms are useful. And people can, any civilization can quickly figure out that a pyramid shape is a useful form, a useful form for building. Uh, but the pyramids as they were built in uh, Mexico and in uh, Central America were nowhere near as sophisticated as the pyramids built at the very beginning of descending Vampara Yuga. But <clears throat> with that said, I mean, I've been to Chichen Itza and it's, it's pretty impressive. I, yes. I understand it's not nearly as exact and precise as the Great Pyramids, exactly. which is even more impressive that was done so many thousand years ago or the Sphinx or those kind of built, you know, those kind of building projects. But like if you sit and clap and you hear the sound go up and down at the bottom of the base, right? I, I, if you paid me a 
trillion dollars today. I wouldn't <laughs> even know how to begin to that. So it was so accurate. And then the certain times of year, the way the sun hit it, it's pretty advanced for its time without question, but not as advanced as the Great Pyramid, I understand. But it was still beyond what they should have been doing in quote unquote in theory. Yeah, and I think that a, a general comment that can be made about any of the yugas, any of the ages, is that there can be people who exceed the general norm of their age. Yeah. So we, in those examples, we may have seen yeah. uh, people who rose to a great height beyond what uh, Kali Yuga would ordinarily produce. Right, like Da Vinci or, you know, or any of those, you know, Galileo or these, they, they, you know, they wanted to be burned at the stake because he's like, no, no, we, we don't revolve around, the, the sun doesn't revolve around us, we revolve around right. us. Right. Think simple as that. So, but there's always those, those people in every age. There's always yeah. the outliers, the ones that are, in all honesty, pushing us forward. They are, if not pushing, pulling us, at least attempting to pull, pull us forward and it's always, I've said this on the show a few times, it's fascinating to me, and I think we said it in our conversation last time, how science is starting to catch up to these concepts that had been talked about thousands of years ago in the Vedic traditions, uh, and in, in China, and in Egypt, these, these ideas uh, that are starting to come, like energy is underneath everything. And now with the microscopes that we have, we can zoom in to an atom. And then when we get all the way down in, there's nothing there. Literally, right. like it, there's nothing there. There's no solid element. So that's how far we, so then if that's the case, then we're all built of energy. And then if we're all built of energy, then who's running the show? How are we moving? <laughs> there's so many right. different, I, it starts opening up, but science is starting to catch up to a lot of these ideas that, um, that have been addressed thousands of years ago, or even with Yukteswa, what he wrote in the late 1800s. And then finally, uh, you know, Einstein, you know, a couple, a decade or two later, figured it out and proved it right. scientifically. So I, I find it fascinating that over the year, over, over history, there are certain concepts that stay with us. Um, that like you were saying, the Chinese had a almost i mean the 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 way that they're able to understand the energy in the body the the meridians the the you know with the acupuncture and energy flows they had maps of energy flows 2 3000 years ago and i had a i had a, a neuroscientist on the other day who was telling me that they actually went through the body with a detector to see where energy or electricity flows the easiest, mm -hmm. like where there's an opening and it matched up with these, these map meridian maps right. from 2000 years ago. Right. How did they have such an understanding about that? So that's, I think, left over from the higher evolution or the higher civilizations. And these are the kind of things that kind of trickle in because if tomorrow, let's say, for, for, and I'm not stretching here, but let's say tomorrow the world ends. <laughs> tomorrow, you know, bombs go off and there's a handful of us flying around. Let's say I survive, you survive, and you're over in, let's say in Europe, I'm over here. And 
everybody else around us really wasn't as educated. And as generation goes by, the knowledge that's left in our heads, whatever we were able to save, that's the knowledge that gets passed on. We take for granted that knowledge gets passed on. Knowledge is lost. Most knowledge is lost over time because time is just brutal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the ability to appreciate things, as you say, science is just starting to catch up with certain spiritual teachings that have been around for thousands of years. But I think also in your example, if uh, we knew nothing about ancient China or ancient Egypt uh, or ancient India, none of their teachings survived, we would be reinventing them in this age because they have a similar level of consciousness. So an example of that is chiropractic. So chiropractic is really a, you know, an experiential discipline. People figured out that by adjusting the spine, adjusting the body in different ways, that the person became healthier and that they began to understand that they were manipulating the flow of life force in the body. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what acupuncture does, does it in a different technique but the same mechanism, the same truth was uh, discovered and then um, harnessed with, or with uh, chiropractic. So we're seeing these same needs that, that come when you understand and feel and experience subtle energy, you need techniques. So meditation was also developed in that descending Dwapara Yuga. And the techniques that we're using today echo the techniques that were used in descending Dwapara Yuga. So because we have the same consciousness, we're drawn to the same practices and drawn to using the same kind of techniques to um, you know, enhance our lives, to uh, experience more and more of the life force that's flowing in our being. Now, are there other cultures around the world that have versions of the yugas uh, in, their, in their teachings? Yes, almost all of them. So the one that we're most familiar with in the West is the Greek golden age, silver age, bronze, uh, bronze age and, and, and dark age or, or iron age, excuse me. So, um, this has the same basic idea. It was conceived of, or maybe not conceived of, wrong term. It, it, it coalesced in Kali Yuga, this, these particular names. But the ideas were that in the past, there had been a golden age. And then it had descended into a silver age and descended into a bronze age. And finally, they were the, the unhappy inhabitants of the Iron Age. You also see this in uh, Nordic cycle. Uh, you see this in um, Polynesian cycles. You see this in Native American Indian cycles. There's a fascinating parallel uh, myth that exists in both India and in uh, the Native American lore uh, in, in America that there was a Buffalo in the Vedic story, who in 
the highest age stood on all four legs, but then in the age below it, Treta Yuga, it only stood on three legs. So the knowledge was becoming shakier. The ability for man to achieve what he can achieve uh, was lacking a leg, lacking a pillar of knowledge. And then in Dwapara Yuga, it stood only on two legs. And finally in Sachi Yuga, this poor bull stood only on one leg. But the amazing thing is that there is a myth of the white buffalo among the Lakota Sioux that in a higher age stood on four legs. And then in a descending uh, age from that stood on three legs and two legs and one leg uh, as the other myth describes it. So in the uh, mythic lore of pretty much all civilizations, there is this memory that in the distant past, there was a higher age. That's so fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, we were, we spoke about the Great Pyramids before. You know, that's one of the great mysteries of our time is the Great Pyramids, how they were able to build with such amazing precision. Um, I forgot I was reading this doctor who, who's been studying uh, da Vinci and how he's been able to incorporate a lot of what da Vinci did into like the pyramids and how mathematically he's a mathematician uh -huh. and how uh -huh. he's been able like the, the distance between, you know, in, in the, the last supper uh, painting or in uh, da Vinci's man, uh, the da Vincian man, Vitruvian uh, man, yeah. Vitruvian man like if you laid over the pyramids and it, it's just fascinating to listen to and watch, but the math is there, right. how they were so absolutely precise to a millimeter. Like if you and me go out into the backyard and just try to build a pyramid right here out of bricks, yeah. just yeah. out of bricks, you and me grabbing bricks and moving them around the chances of us getting to the top in a perfect way is very difficult. I mean, yeah. I don't even know if we could with today's technology build the Great Pyramids in the way that they were built with the size. And, and let's not even start talking about the size of the, how were they able to move all of that stone? Right. And that's a whole other conversation uh, in regards to theories about how they were moved. But regardless of how they moved them, how they were able to place everything so perfectly and then also connecting it to astrological like where the stars are aligning at certain it's I, I can't even understand it yeah well i think that it, it, that is the key to the you know the remarkable marker that is the great pyramid of of what they knew at that time and in the uh, cycle of the yugas the Great Pyramid was built in Dwapara Yuga, yes, but just after it, uh, Treta Yuga ended. Mm -hmm. So it was not long after a, a very high age uh, ended. And so the memory of certain things could have been passed down. Now, there's no pyramids that I know of that were built in Treta Yuga, but the knowledge of the precision that went into building the 
pyramid could have come from that. Um, but it is remarkably precise. One of my favorite uh, points is that the base of the pyramid covers 13 and a half acres. It's a huge, massive, uh, massive amount of space that it's covered. But if you measure the baseline going around all four sides of the pyramid, they don't deviate more than five eighths of an inch <laughs> from level, from perfectly matching level on all four sides of the pyramid. And there are, you know, sort of endless numbers of these examples when you get into the passageways inside the pyramid. Oh. There are walls that run for like 50 feet or more that are perfectly flat. Like perfectly. And like perfectly flat. You know, you put a, a today's measure of flatness against it and there, there's no light. There's no uh, deviation from the flatness of, of even very modern tools. There's also evidence that they used um, high speed uh, circular kind of uh, tools to, to dress stone. There are holes drilled in enormous blocks. Yeah. Now think about that. If you all you have are hammers and chisels, how do you create a like a three or four inch diameter hole that runs perfectly straight through a block of granite? So they must have had high speed tools. There's another pyramid uh, I think it's the Saqqara pyramid, but I could have it wrong. But underneath it are these uh, passages. And at the end point of many of the passages, there are these sarcophagi. And they call them sarcophagi because they don't know what else to call them, but they're enormous. They're, they're far bigger than what you would ever bury someone in. So they're just these big stone uh, boxes that have lids. Uh, many of them have lids, I should say. But if you go in, if you have the opportunity to jump inside one of these, mm -hmm. which you, you don't unless you have special permission, and you get in there with a, uh, uh, a square, you'll find that the bottom and the sides are exactly square. And if you go over to the corner, now, have you ever tried whether, you know, wood carving? Or oh or chipping something to try to get a corner perfectly square, you'll almost always end up with some kind of rounded area in the corner. These don't have any rounded corner. They are perfectly square all the way to the other wall. And, and, then, and then you start talking about the Sphinx, which many said now they're starting to date it older than the pyramids. Far older, yes. Far older than the pyramids. Like it had been around for, I mean, because just to be able to carve that back then, according to the kind of tools that they supposedly had, it hurts the brain. It hurts the brain. Yeah. So they definitely had tools. They had knowledge that was, you know, far in advance of what generally is attributed to them. Uh, remember that the, the Great Pyramid was built three or 400 years after um, archeologists think the stone age ended. 
Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, it just were, doesn't you know? make a, it just doesn't mm-hmm. make logical sense. Regardless if you want to believe or don't want to believe, just look at it logically, scientifically. Yeah, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. Are you familiar with the Coral Castle? Yes. Yes, yeah. I'm not minutely, but uh, generally familiar. So for people who, are, who don't know what the Coral Castle is, I'm from South Florida. So I, uh-huh. I've been to the Coral Castle right, many right. times, actually. And there was this little man in the 50s, I think it was, right. in the 50s, who built this complex of buildings out of coral that and coral, um, coral rock that is specific down in the South Florida area that, and each piece weighed four or five tons. He did it all by himself. He did it at night and he built everything in, 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 in secret. Now, nobody understands how he did it. When the people asked him what he was doing, he said, Oh, how he was doing some of this stuff. He's like, Oh, I figured out how they built the pyramids. Mm-hmm. I understand the technology behind how they built the pyramids. And that's because he was able to move tons and tons of coral rock and also manipulate it, carve it right. by himself. There was nobody right. else involved. So again, how was it built is the a big question. And a lot of people have always talked about the coral. Have you had a chance to go to the coral castle ever? No, I've just seen pictures, but the it's, pictures are pretty stunning. It's impressive. I've been in those. I've been in, and they. And by the way, every hurricane does nothing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even move them. <laughs> the safest place in South Florida to be is in Coral Castle. If you're in a hurricane, right. the door. I mean, it just it just doesn't move. It's just so built so solidly. It's 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 a pretty remarkable thing. And there are little stories like that. You start hearing little stories like that throughout history. But that was one that I just had a personal experience with that I always found it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they clearly had higher knowledge when they built the, the Great Pyramids. And, the, and another um, sort of proof of the cyclical nature of uh, the, the development of civilizations is that the Egyptians kept building uh, pyramids for centuries after this sort of golden period of of pyramid building. None of them exist today because they were built so poorly that they just fell apart. Mm -hmm. And one of them is just like a mound of sand, essentially. You wouldn't even know it was a pyramid. So they lost the knowledge that built the Great Pyramid. And you also see that in the, you know, they eventually resorted to not even building pyramids at all. They just uh, created underground tombs for their for their royalty, and they were you know beautifully decorated in many cases. But nothing of the craftsmanship, workmanship, or grandeur of the Great Pyramid. And it's unlikely the Great Pyramid was ever even a uh, tomb. This is the you know lasting uh, thought of archaeologists that it was built to be a tomb, and that. Uh, that's what started all the tomb building that became the sort of focus of Egyptian kings and royalty for for centuries after. But there's no real evidence that there was ever any bodies, sarcophagi, in the Great Pyramid. And in fact, 
it has air passages. <laughs> it was meant to be used by living people and they had air passages uh, coming in from outside in order to, to allow people to have, you know, breathable air. This is not what you do for a mummy that you want to last for eternity because air is the enemy. Right. So the Great Pyramid it was really obviously built for another purpose. And I think there's, there's psychic evidence for this as well. But I think that it was a uh, system, all the pyramids and all of the buildings that surrounded the pyramids of Giza were a, uh, you know, people were taught and meditated and gradually built their uh, ability to handle higher and higher levels of uh, cosmic energy, essentially, until they could get into the pyramid and get a really big transformational uh, flow of energy into their nervous system. I've heard, so, I've, I've heard other, I've heard other archaeologists talk about it. I've heard uh, other scholars talk about that, that there is something when you walk into the pyramids, if you're able to, I think you're able to sleep. There's a handful of times you could sleep over. I think I heard someone saying like, you have special permission, obviously. Yeah, you have to get special permission. People do spend the night in the Great Pyramid. Um, mm -hmm. I had a visit to the Great Pyramid. It was one of my bucket list uh, visits. Yeah. And what I felt, I just stood in the king's chamber trying to ignore the, you know, the people talking and- Oh, so you went inside, you went inside. Yes, it's pretty routine that you can go inside, but they don't open up all of the various uh, chambers. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much, you go up the grand gallery into the king's chamber and then back out again. Uh, and only with special permission can you go in the queen's chamber or the, or the passages that lead under the Great Pyramid. So they keep it kind of tightened down. But even with just that, even being able to go just into the King's Chamber, I, I basically meditated standing up. And what I began to feel was that the whole pyramid pulsed, that it was like one giant crystal, and that I could feel it pulsing through my body, almost like uh, you could feel music pulsing mm -hmm. through your body if you stood next to a really powerful uh, speaker. And the longer I was in there, the, the more powerful the pulse became. So I think it, and that may be not the, the only thing that it does, but it was one of the things that I felt its you know, purpose was, was to build this energy up. And also the Great Pyramid was covered in white limestone when it was originally built would love to see it <laughs> oh, yeah. with some sort of some sort of top some sort of golden top yes there's a flat top on the great pyramid while the other pyramids come all the way to a point and it has been uh suggested that there was a solid pyramid of gold or silver or crystal sitting on the top there's there's nothing to prove that one way or the other psychics uh tend to say that it was true, but uh, I kind of like the, the hard and fast facts myself to, to suggest those things to be true. But with that white limestone, what is believed is that it would have been an insulator and that it would have held energy into the pyramid and that the 
uh, stone selected for the chambers is a very high crystalline granite, you know, high, high uh, percentage of quartz crystals in that granite. So that the whole structure would have been this, you know, amazingly resonant, right. resonating, powerful conductor of energy. It is, it hurts the brain to think of what technically had to go into making that. Cause it, like you were saying, if you and I built the pyramid in the backyard, that's not with chambers. That's right. not, that's not with perfectly, you know, squared, you know, corners and passages and stuff. That's just trying to build a pyramid period, let alone do everything else that's been done at that, at that right. site. It's pretty Plus the pyramids were built even on the enormous scale that they were built knowing how they were going to come out. So the, there was plans. You know, the first stone laid was part of a plan that included all these chambers and uh, the yeah. precise angular structure that is mathematically, uh, you know, fits the Vitruvian man, et cetera. Uh, that's why I say, mostly why I say that the, the level of sophistication of the uh, Egyptian pyramids is so much greater than that of the Mayan. Sure, it, it is. There's no question. There is. Yeah, they are. But the, but the ones that were the ones that I've seen in in South America, they they're pretty impressive for the time. Yeah, very impressive. Very very impressive. Very impressive. They're pre they're impressive for this time, let alone that time. Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine seeing someone try to build either of those things today. Is pretty remarkable. I have to ask you, Joseph. You know, we are going through such a major shift right now in our culture and our society as a species. There seems to be so much turmoil going on, whether it's environmental, political, economical, uh, health with the pandemic. The whole world seems to be feeling it at the same time, which is something that's not really happened, at least to my understanding, in the human history that we're aware of. Uh, what do you think is going on as far as these cycles and where we're at? Because it seems like it's not, it's, I don't feel like it's getting better. I feel it's, we're, we're, we're not at the darkest time yet, but yet we're supposedly coming out into another time according to the cycles. So what is this, this period that we're in right now? I get asked this a lot because, um, you know, many people looking around them, as you were alluding uh, and seeing things getting worse, you know, that the, how could we possibly be uh, advancing, however slowly, how could we be advancing in this period when there are so many uh, negative things apparently happening around us? And if we look back, as we did talking about the fact that meditation existed in descending Dwapara and acupuncture existed in, in, in descending Dwapara. If you look back, particularly matching up the end of descending Dwapara and compare that to our uh, beginning of ascending Dwapara, we're really at the same level, if you will. If you, if you looked at it as a circle uh, and you put a line across the bottom of the circle, those two times would be at the same. What was, what was the time? And what was the age? What was the time? End period? of uh, descending Dwapara. So uh, 1000 BC to 700 BC, 
the, the last 300 years of descending Dwapara. And then if you compared those to the first 300 years of ascending Dwapara Yuga, what you see in the past is a rapid breakdown of political systems. This was the time when uh, many, many cultures that uh, existed then are only names now. The Hittites, the Assyrians, um, I can't remember, there's, there's a dozen literally that existed in the area of the Near East that are just artifacts and museums now. There was this huge breakdown. There was rapid change in what we would think of as, as you know, political boundaries today. So we're in an age, we're in a time in our Dwapara age that shares that similar vibration. And I think what we're seeing is rapid change. And that rapid change brings with it breakdowns. It, it, bring, it brings with it destruction of forms. Um, but it also brings with it new ideas and new forms. So if you just look at destruction, you're going to add that up to being, we're going nowhere. But if you look more subtly at new forms that are being offered, uh, democracy is a new form that came out even just 150 years ago, uh, 200 years ago, excuse me. And it's making its way forward as the dominant political system of our time. But it's messy. It's not always followed well in other countries. We're lucky here. Hopefully we continue to be lucky. Yeah. But there are books written about how people don't appreciate how good the time we're living is in is. So uh, the life expectancy right. has doubled since 1900 to today. There are, and it's hard to believe this, but there are few people dying in wars, fewer people dying in wars today oh, well. than there were even 50 years ago. There's still wars. And so it's kind of a left-handed compliment, right? right? That fewer people are dying in them, but it's true. And then you have uh, advances in medicine, you have advances in uh, more subtle energy kind of healing that's taking place. There are literally hundreds of subtle energy modalities that are practiced by people all over the world. These don't make the headlines. These right. things don't uh, get noticed unless you uh, really want to. But so you've got an emerging awareness of more subtle ways of living mm -hmm. simultaneous with a breakdown of older ways of the world managing its governance side by side. And I think that's just what it is those various systems of governance, I think may keep breaking down and reforming and breaking down and reforming for quite some time yet. But I do believe we'll come out of it. I can't say when, I doubt if it's in 10 years, I doubt if it's in 50 years, but it might be a hundred years. 
uh, and, and that the world will settle down and there won't be this sort of constant uh, conflict between nations that we see today. And within each and within nations, I mean, we're more divided. And nations, yeah, yes. we're, we're more divided in this nation than I'm not sure than ever before, but in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah, well, I like to think it's definitely not as ever before because right. the Civil War was a yeah. pretty serious <laughs> breakdown of of uh, the the democratic process. So, I think we'll get there. But I also also personally believe that. I'm born, I think people like yourself are born at this time um, to help make that transition as elevating as possible, to, to offer teachings, to offer techniques, to offer ways to see what's happening in new ways that allow you to embrace it and grow from it, grow in it, help others in particular. This is a time when we need to serve each other. We need to love each other. And for those of us who understand it, do it. There's no time better uh, offered to us than to, uh, to give and care for others now uh, to get us through these, these challenging times. Um, Joseph, uh, where can people find uh, out more about you, your work, and where can they pick up the book, The Yugas? The Yugas uh, is pretty much available uh, everywhere. You'll find it in some bookstores. Uh, you'll certainly find it online. And if you want to learn more about it before you make a purchase, you could go to my website, theyugas.com. And there are articles there, more descriptions about the Yugas uh, that might help you. I believe I have a first chapter there in that website to to give it a feel for it. And as you always know, you can go to Amazon and, and read more about it online. Uh, it's available in uh, paperback, audiobook, and Kindle. Uh, many people like the audiobook. Uh, I think right now the audiobook sort of surprises me, is selling better than the oh. paperback and the uh, Kindle version combined. So uh, that's, my audiobooks, that's my experience yeah. with my books as well. <laughs> Yeah. Audiobooks always sell more than the paperback and the Kindles. Uh, but Joseph, I appreciate you, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge of the yugas. And hopefully that gives us a better frame to look at life and where we're at and what our purpose is during this time. So I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. I really like spending time with you. Let's do it again. Thanks for watching. Click on one of the videos below to continue your journey and don't forget to subscribe.